New Orleans, and I'm walking on 75th and Pulaski with my nephew Matthew. And we're walking across the bridge, and he's like, you know, hey, Kenny, Jesus, man, how are you doing with Jesus? What's going on in your life? And I'm like, well, uh, yeah, I know Jesus. Jesus is my own boy, man. What are you, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you can, do you go to church? I'm like, no. He's like, you study the Bible? I'm like, no. He's like, you pray? I'm like, no. He's like, well, Kenny, Jesus. I'm like, what are you talking about, Matthew? What are you talking about, man? And it got me to the point where I began to, to got so frustrated that I cursed him up and down, left and right. And then he said something that this is what changed my life forever. It has now made me the person that I am and the person that I will continue to be and grow into the, uh, the image of Christ. And this was what he said. He said, you know, Kenny, if you knew Jesus, you would not have just cussed me out. And I said two words that changed me forever. And these are the two words. It was your right. And right then and there is when I repented of my sin and trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And when I changed. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's when I began to change. And that's actually when I met Oscar. I was at Daily College. I was leading Bible study. And he uh, has a... I'm sitting there with King James Bible. And he's like, hey, you like King James? I'm like, yeah. Boy, man, what other Bible would you use? He's like, he's like, well, you know, man, bro, you would like my church. I'm like, I, well, sure, I'd love to go to church. He showed up at my sister Laura's house. He took me to church, and it, it, ever since then, it's history. Fast forward from that time, I joined the United States Marine Corps, and I remember Pastor Tizio and I talking. He's like, so what church are you gonna go to? Wherever he sends you. I'm like, Pastor, I'm gonna go to West Coast Baptist Church. I said that flippantly. I had no clue. I really, I didn't want to go to California. And sure enough, I end up in California at West Coast Baptist Church. That's where I met my wife. For <laughs> a few years after being at West Coast Baptist Church, 2010, we found out we were pregnant with Tyler. She was pregnant with Tyler. He was born in 2011. In 2010, I was praying in my front room. I had just become an officer. And uh, I was asking the Lord, what did he want me to do? How could I glorify him? And the Lord began to impress on me that if I did not accept his call into the ministry to preach the gospel, that I would die on the battlefield. And it, it was such a strong impression that I called my pastor. I said, Pastor, I need to talk to you right now. He's like, all right. What are you going to talk about? And I was like, I need to be there right now. In person, I need to talk to you right now. And I drove to his house and said, Pastor, I'm called to preach the ministry. God has told me what he's called me to do, and I'm going to do it. I'm getting out. I'm going into ministry. I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in all the world. I'm doing it. He's like, all right, let's go tell Pastor Clark. I'm like, all right, let's go. I drove to church. I said, Pastor, I'm calling the ministry. God has told me what he wants to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And he's like, all right, you want to tell church? I'm like, yes, let's do it. So we went out to my church, and that's where the calling t- uh, took place. 2000 and Last year, 2013, I knew God was leading me out of the military. The time had come. It was clear. There's so many signs. And my pastor calls me into the office and he says, Hey, Brother Fondo, you know where the Lord's leading you? I'm like, Sir, I don't have a clue. He's like, All right. He's like, uh, You ever thought about being a pastor? I'm like, Uh, nah, hmm. not really. Not really. Like, not really my thing. You know, pastor. Ah. And he's like, Well, you would you pray about it? They have a man that has a work that. Uh, I believe God has told me it's for you, but you need to know that. I'm like, all right, okay, I'll pray about it, Pastor. You tell me, I'll pray about it. 
And I had a really big situation on my hand. I was raising my nephew Jordan. He was 16 years old. And he had come to live with us because his parents had lost their job in California because the economy was bad. And he, had, we, he I mean, it was, it's amazing when you plant a seed and it just blossoms. I mean, it just blows up. I mean, trees don't grow overnight, but it's amazing to see a tree grow overnight. And that was Jordan. We put him in our church school. I mean, he just took off, was in the bus ministry, was faithful, waking up at 5 a.m. on his own, doing his homework on his own, doing devotions on his own, doing responsibility on his own, going to school on his own, enjoying being there. And I said to God, I was like, look, God, you know, I know that Jordan is not supposed to be leaving here. So if you want me to go to where I'm, you think, that I think I'm supposed to go, you need to take Jordan away. And so his parents go to South Carolina to live with their son until they could find something to do. Now, I want to say, we lived in Jacksonville, North Carolina at that time. And they're in church. This is right before I prayed my prayer. You know, right after. They're in church. And his dad is talking to some men. He says, hey, what are you doing here, partner? He said, well, you know, I lost my job in California. I was a manager at a, you know, extermination company. He's like, really? He's like, wow. You never guess what? I own a store. I need a manager. Do you want the job? He's like, yeah. Where's the store? And then he says, Jacksonville, North Carolina. Prayer answered. Jordan lives with his parents. His family's doing great. He's in our church school. He's continuing to grow. God answered the prayer. I felt like, wow, it can't even get more obviously answered than that. And so I accepted the call. I accepted the position. We'll be moving there next month. It's in Wilson, North Carolina. It's a small independent Baptist church. The town is about 52% African American, 38% white, 10% Latino. Our church is about 50 people. We have 12 adults and about 38 kids. What's interesting about our church is that it's in a very run-down part of town, and the people that come to our church really can't even get there. We pick them up. Most all of them, maybe one or two other drivers. And our crowd is people that the rest of the world has given up on because they don't have the much to offer monetarily. They don't have much to offer by way of education and even outwardly time. A lot of times you see a black church and you're like, wow, man, I bet they can sing. Woo! No, we can't sing. <laughs> Not at all. Not to save your life. But you know what is amazing is that there is this vast potential there within these young people to change the world. And what I love about the work, as daunting as it can be, is that they're willing to learn. They're willing to change they're very soft-hearted, and they want to go where you will lead. And I look at these young people that everybody's given up on. One man is uh, 60-something years old and retired. He only has two biological kids. But every week, he brings in 12. And none of them look like him. And I'm like, I'm like, Pastor Lucas, why does, why does Brother Harrison have all these kids? None of them look like him. They're his grandkids? They're like, no. As a matter of fact... None of those are Brother Harrison's kids. I'm like, well, why, does he, why do they all live with him? And why are they all coming with him? He said, well, Brother Fontenot, no, those kids come from his family. When someone in his family has given up on a kid and doesn't want them anymore, they give him to, them to him. And that's my church. But you know, these kids, although they've been abandoned, they come from broken homes. They don't have fathers that care. They don't have mothers that care. They're living with a man who's not related to them. You would never know it by the look on their face. They have the brightest countenance. They love to sing. And they're encouraged. All of that left 
They don't know what has happened. Sometimes in life, people give up on us or quit. And we get discouraged. And we feel like we have no work. And that's what these kids, you never get that from them. They're motivated and passionate. And they care. My, my vision that God has given me is to give them the chance to grow in Christ. Not only through our church, but through the church school that we hope to start. To take them away from this education system that is dehumanizing them, destroying all spirituality and godliness, and to teach them what it is to be a man and a woman in Christ. And that's our goal at uh, Bethel Baptist Church. And that's what your prayers and support will do. It will change the lives of these young people to become men and women of God, preachers, teachers, evangelists, pastors, wives. That's what we hope to do at Bethel Baptist Church. Uh, my sermon uh, today actually kind of goes along with what Brother Harold was preaching this morning. And it really is a blessing me to hear that. And I, that's how sometimes God confirms what I'm supposed to preach. If you can open your text today to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, we'll move into the preaching. But you know, you guys got to entertain me and my folly just a little bit. Uh, there's a thought that I want you to have as I de- describe what our world is like, what are some of the things you can expect, and why is it that we can take heart. And that thought is this. Jesus loves me. I want you to have that thought throughout what I'm going to describe, because what I'm going to describe is going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging, and it might even be discouraging if you look at it the wrong way. But there's one thought I'd like to describe, and that is, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And it would be really, like, look, all right, I can't sing to save my life, okay? But I'd like to sing one verse of Jesus loves me together as a church. I can't leave music. I'm going to have to do this where I'm going because we don't have anybody musically captured there. So this is practice. But we all sing, Jesus loves me, the first verse, and then I'll preach. That will be a blessing to me. Is that okay? Can we do that? All right. So here we go. One, two, three. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 through 18 says this, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The title of my sermon is Why Bear the Burden? You know, I look at our generation and what we can expect for tomorrow and it just doesn't look bright. If we were to describe the American family, it would be broken and fragmented. If we were to describe our government, it would be dictatorship. 
if we were to describe tomorrow it would look dark. Murder is skyrocketing. Abortions are skyrocketing. You gotta look over your shoulder wherever you go. And if you're a Christian and you follow Christ, you must live by a code that at times seems unbearable. Why bear a burden? Why be the only one that is doing anything when nobody's doing anything at all? Why should we suffer for those that seem like they don't care? As a church, that can be something, that can be how you feel sometimes. You can be in a ministry, you're picking up kids all the time, and you're going out and you're putting your heart and your soul into this, and they disappear. Or people say, you know, we don't like the way you do things. Or they say, you know, we really, this is, it's an inconvenience to get involved. And you can labor and toil for such a long time, it's such a small result. Or you can be the only one in your marriage making an attempt to make it work. You can be the only one trying to keep your family together and be an example and provide. It is amazing that in this generation, more than any other generation behind us, that there are more men who aren't doing anything and more women trying to hold it all together. But that is what has come and what can we do with it? Can we find any meaning in suffering? Does it even matter? Is it in vain? Is there an example that we can follow? I hope tonight, today, to answer a couple questions for you. First is this, why suffer? The first question we're going to talk about is, why suffer? Why does it matter? What does it mean for other people when we suffer for others? The second question, the second thing we're going to answer is, what do we do when suffering comes? What can I do when suffering comes? The next question we're going to answer after that is what do we do when it seems like I can't do anything? And the last thing I'm going to tell you is we're going to describe the victory that comes for those that endure. I have a history degree and I love history because history gives me examples of those that have fought it far worse than I currently have it and often encourages me to go to how far they went. Because I can clearly see that. And our Lord has given us a book of history. It's called the Bible and His example. So my first introduction is go about that. And I'm going to parallel all these things with a battle that encourages me. A battle that took place during the Korean War. And this is a battle that the Marines fought in. I'm a Marine, so we're going to talk about the Marines, okay? This is called the Battle of Tacton Cast. In order to get you to where we're going, you need to know that... North Korea invaded South Korea during the Korean War. South Korea was our allies. So American partner with South Korea pushed back the North Koreans all the way to China. Something happened at that time that changed everything. The Chinese communists then invaded North Korea and decimated the American army. And the Marines were one of the last effective combat elements left. And yet they were on the run for their lives. And so, there's one last company of 500 men remaining that are okay, they've got ammunition, they're food. They have food. There are 500 left, and the commanding general calls in the leader of this band into their office. He says, Captain Barber, I have an assignment for you. He said, yes, sir. What's the assignment? He says, I need you to go to Tacton Pass, which is a mountain that overlooks a valley where a large army can pass. And if it gets past this point, it can destroy every American. He says, as you know, we're on the run. And we need to hold that position because that's where the Chinese are going to come from. And if they get past that position, we are all going to die. 
We have no hope if you are men cannot hold that position. Will you accept this assignment? He says, yes, sir, I'll accept my assignment. I have 500 men that are ready to go. What does the enemy look like? And this is what he said with a straight face. He said, 25 to 40,000. And he took the pause, he turned pale white. He says, wow, 525, 425. It was a suicide assignment. The odds were insurmountable. The sun at least, it didn't look very bright. But did he crack? No. He went because he understood that if he didn't go, a lot more men than die would than himself. Yes, 500 might die, but what about the 10,000 that he was protecting? And that is the essence of our verse today. You are the salt of the earth. Salt is a preservative. Sometimes we suffer to save others. Sometimes we suffer so that others might prosper. Sometimes we hold the gap in a place where no one wants us because if we don't stay and we don't do what we want, other people might die. And it's like that in broken homes too. Sometimes you might have a marriage that ain't working and the guy might be lousy. But you know why you should stick it out? You should stick it out because sometimes, most of the times, people, children that come from divorced homes, suffer. More so than children that come from dysfunctional homes that have stayed together. That's why you should stick it out. We should stick out our Christian testimony in a world where no one wants Christ because there is someone that will be saved. There is someone that will go. There is someone that can come and see the light. But if the light is put under a bushel, can any man see it? Can any man glorify their followers in heaven? Suffering is not fun. It's not fun. But we suffer for the benefit of others. And that is our meaning in suffering. We can find a redeeming factor in suffering because Christ suffered for us. Christ came to earth was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life and was condemned to die. They stripped him naked and they beat his back till it was tender. And then they took out a cat of nine tails and they whipped him so he could see his spinal column and blood poured down his body. And yet the Bible says that he never spoke a word. He never cried out for freedom. He never cared for the injustice that came with the sentence. They said he bore the cross a mile of the Calvary's mountain. And there he hung. And he endured the mocking of blasphemers for me and for you. Because the weight of the cross was nothing compared to the value of your soul. But what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Our example in suffering, our example in suffering is Christ. So these men take this assignment and they're dropped on this mountaintop. And it's negative 40 degrees outside. They have little food, little water, and the day begins to get dark. They all are in their position and they're waiting for the enemy to come. And it becomes midnight and it becomes dark. And all of a sudden they hear a radio crackle, a loudspeaker in the 1950s. I kid you not. This is honestly true. And all of a sudden this garbled Chinese voice comes on the thing and says, like American, tonight you die. And it's like ice poured in their blood. 
And they could hear the long rumble of these thousands of troops as they began to approach their line. And finally, they got the signal that they were there. A flare pops up. And they could see as far as the eye could see men charging with guns, crying and yelling out. And they were loaded. Bottles are blowing up. Grenades are going. And as much as they fired, and as many as they killed, they continued to come. And finally, they broke American lines. And between the flashes of gunfire, you could see people strangling each other, beating each other over the head with their helmets, and spoons, and axes, and shovels, fighting for dinner life. And if Marie remembered that he was lying, praying to God with spirit soul. Thank you. That suddenly there was a silence that was almost deafening. The first day was over. The Marines sat there, bewildered and dumbfounded, and they looked at the horizon as the sun began to pour over. And if you're ever in a barren land, when you watch the sun come up, it's almost as if it chases the shadow. And it begins to chase the shadow. And as it chases the shadow, they saw body after body after body after body, and they were horrified. The second thing that I want you to know tonight about endurance and about what we can expect in this world. Why it is that we can deal with this situation. The thing that I want you to know is that God has never promised that bad things will never happen. Just because you are following God and just because you are saved does not mean that tragedy never comes. There will be circumstances that will be utterly horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Matthew chapter 24 verses 4 through 12 tells us this. This is what Christ says of the times we live in. Matthew 24 verses 4 through 12. Read this. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be no famines, I mean there shall be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you, up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many shall be false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. God has been honest. This life is going to deal injustice. It is going to deal sorrow. It is going to deal tragedy. It is going to happen. And like these Marines, we often were ready. The Marines looked out over the land and they were just dismayed. They had never prepared for slaughter. They thought that it would be a landslide victory. And after they did the body counts, they realized that 300 of the 500 Marines, 300 of the 500 were killed or wounded in the first day. And the battle was not over. It's like that in this world. People will do things to us we never thought they would do. We will get blindsided. Church members will do some crazy stuff. I don't want to know in all things. Family members will do even more crazier stuff. It happens. But does that mean that Jesus doesn't love you? I mean, that's our response. Like, oh, God doesn't love us. 
Why they think about you? Why does this happen? The reality is is that these things happen. And just because we say it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. That is not realistic and that is not what he promised. But he has said, take heart. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world give I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God is with us even when things don't go right. And I don't often like to think that, but that is the reality. God is still there. And we're saved. God is still with us. Just because things have gone bad or right doesn't mean he hates us. That's ridiculous. These Marines started to think they were abandoned. They were like, why did we get this assignment? This is dumb. They already forgot the mission. And that's what it gets like. We start to suffer and we look at everybody like, why am I going through this? We forget the mission. There are people that are dependent upon us. I don't like the idea of suffering. I don't like the idea of losing my wife or my son. The thought horrifies me. I would rather die than them die. But then I know, I think to myself, wow, I would hate for my wife to be alone. I make all the money in the house. I provide so that she can stay home. Who's going to do that? Jesus will do that. I come from a broken family. My dad died when I was young. My wife's dad died when she was young. My mother-in-law's dad died when she was young. We don't even know what it's like to have a family that stays together their whole lifespan. I would love for God to give me that gift. I would love to be faithful and true and live one family until the Lord comes back or we all die. But the Lord has to give that. I can't take that. And that leads us to our next one. What do you do? What do you do when things go wrong? When someone dies that you didn't think would die. When someone does something to you that you never thought they would do. When you've been double-crossed and betrayed, like Jesus was betrayed in the garden, what do you do? When one day you get a call, like so many have gotten before, and it says, your wife and all your kids are dead. What do you do? You can't kill yourself. You can't quit. What do you do? The Bible gives a prescription. For what do we do when we're taken by the horrors of life? What do we do? Do we dwell on the horrors of life? Do we continue to think about the horrors of life and let it destroy us? No. The Bible gives us prescription in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. It says... Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.8, follow up. And this is what Philippians 4.8 says. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Don't dwell on bad news. Don't dwell on all the things that have gone wrong. Don't dwell on the failures. Don't dwell on the double crossing. Don't dwell on the tragedy. It will never, has never, and can never do good for you. We destroy ourselves because we dwell on the wrong things. You know what's true, pure, lovely, just, honest, a good report, a virtue, and a praise? It's the Bible. If you dwell on the Bible, it can give you power to live through hard times. It can give you the power to go when things are horrifying. And when you have, don't know what to do. So the Marines, 
What they did on that second day of battle, preparing for the enemy to come, they didn't just mourn over the dead and the lost. No. They picked up the dead bodies and they put them where they used to be. They took other dead bodies and they placed them around their firing positions to absorb the fire because it was so cold that they were frozen solid. And the next night of the battle, they waited. And the Chinese came again. Satan will always come. It is never over. And they came again. And finally, as they watched the Chinese, the Chinese took out their bayonets, ran up to these dead bodies and stuck them, only to realize that they were already dead. And suddenly there's a hail of fire. Boom! Wiped out every Chinese attacker and they had a sweeping victory on the second night of the battle. Forget those things which are behind. Press toward in God and you too can have a sweeping victory today. What do you do when you need a miracle? The third day of the battle comes around and all of a sudden they send out scouts from the marine position and say, go figure out what the Chinese are doing. So these scouts wander out into the mountaintop and they look over and as they cross over the horizon, they see into the valley. Thousands more Chinese have arrived. And their heart sinks because they don't have food anymore. They don't have water. And uh, they don't have enough ammo to hold the position if they did sack. And that's how the Chinese won the Korean War for the most part, is they had enough people that were willing to die than we had ammo. And they started praying, what, what can I do? They hadn't heard from their headquarters in a couple days. What am I going to do? And so the guy who's there has a radio, he says, you know, maybe we'll call in a fire mission. That's when artillery, which is several miles back, shoots over these huge shells that blow up and kill tons of people. And maybe they'll just answer and I say this because there are times when God, for the most part, seems silent. Right. Like, where are you? Right. I've been praying, I've been reading my Bible, and I'm not getting an answer. Right. And what's interesting is that sometimes God is just right there. We can't feel it. I have a great object lesson for this. Tyler was just born, and God has been answering, helping me understand him through my children. So Tyler's in the hospital because he had a high bilirubin count and he needs to be under blue light. And why is he under blue light? Light so bright you have to put this, uh, this mask over his face so he can't see anybody. And Tyler is so distressed and crying out because he doesn't think anybody's there. He doesn't even realize I'm touching him. I'm nearly holding him. But you know what? He was so distressed he couldn't feel my presence. And that's what happens when we get horrified. And we begin to think about all the wrong things. We're like, God has abandoned us. No! You're not paying attention. You cannot feel His touch because you're frantic and you're worried and you're scared. The one thing that will destroy the presence of God in your life when things like this seem like they're not going right is fear and anxiety and depression that will eliminate your ability to feel God working in you and around you and through you. So the Marines call on this fire mission, hoping for a miracle. And it said, 10th Marines, this is Fox Company, 2-7, requesting fire missions, high school to shells on this position. Over. No confirmation. And he literally sat there and prayed that God would do something that they couldn't do. And all of a sudden, the sky begins like it starts to rip apart and you see these things. 
And just like that, boom, 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 the enemies obliterate, and they survive the third day of the battle. And you know what they're like in our life? There are people in our life that we want to give up on. Like, man, that guy's a loser. I've been working with a friend, and he's never changed. I can't do anything. I give up on these people. I give up on Chicago. I give up on Wilson. I've been here this long, and nothing is happening. I've been putting money into this. I've been putting effort into this. And I can't seem to get this thing to check. Why? Because we don't pray. We use our effort instead of God's effort. We come up with our ideas instead of obeying the Bible. Mark chapter 5, 1 through 8, gives a, a good description of someone people had quit on. The Bible says that they came over unto the side of the sea and to the country of Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So already you can see people didn't like to be around him. He did some funny stuff. He liked to wear dead figures on his body. He had an unclean spirit, which means he was filthy himself. And said, who had been dwelling among the tombs and no man could bite him. No melt with chains. Might I emphasize that this might be a man that was arrested, they tried to bind him with chains, and it didn't work. This might be a man other people had come to and tried to help, and it seemed like it didn't work. Something happened. He said, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broke in pieces, neither could any man tame him. No man can help him, the Bible says. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. This was a man who had been so discouraged and given up on, who was so possessed by demons, he began to cut himself and destroy himself. I know a person like that in my life. And often would cut herself to try to feel human and would destroy herself and had everything to gain and everything to lose if she kept on this path. And something happened that changed this man. A miracle came. And this was the miracle. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And before he said unto him, Come out of that man, thou unclean spirit. There are people here that are unclean. There are people we know that are unclean. A lot of times we want to give up, we want to get up, and we want to go. But the Bible actually says the opposite. It says that we need to give Jesus. It is that simple. It has always been that simple. We need to continue to give Jesus through the Bible. We need to give, continue to give Jesus through music. We need to continue to give Jesus through our presence and not give up because the Bible says that when Jesus comes, the demons will go. And we can trust in that miracle, in that promise, in me and in others. If you need a miracle, get Jesus. If you need one in your life, get Jesus. Where is Jesus at in your life? Is he not in your devotion time because you're not having it? You need to get some Jesus. Is he not in your prayer time and your praise time because you're listening to all the wrong music? You need to get some Jesus. Is he not in your thoughts and your meditations because you're thinking on all the wrong things that none of it is going to help you or is beneficial? You need to get some Jesus. And it has always been, will always be, and never will change. You always need to get some Jesus if you need a miracle.
So we go to the last day of the battle. The Marines have prepared to die. They right there, began to write letters to their parents. They quit. That's it. They couldn't take it anymore. They hadn't eaten in several days. They hadn't sleep in several days. They were tired and weary. And things were getting dark. If there was one more counterattack, attack, that was it. There was nothing they could do. They look at each other and they said they're sorry, they're anything they regretted. They said, you know, this is it. I'm going to die. I've lost this battle. We've lost. All is lost. There's nothing we can do. That's it. And you know, it'll be like that, just like that in the day of victory. Right before, right after the point when you are willing to throw in a child is at the most critical point. Right when you think everything is going to be over is when you're going to throw in a child. Just like these rooms that throw in a towel. It became nightfall. And every night they had been attacked. And they said, okay, they're attacked this night, isn't it? I got a couple rounds, we're going to throw them, so we're going to punch each other, and I'm going to die. There's a lot more of them than there are of us. And then something happened in the darkest part of the night that had never happened before over the days of the battle. Suddenly, the commanding officer was sitting by his radio, and it crackled. And he like jumps like, what? Excuse me? He picked up the radio because no one had called them before he hadn't heard from them. They hadn't heard from their headquarters. It's like sometimes we think we hadn't heard from God. Right. And it cracked me. He said, hey, come in, come in, Mrs. Commanding Officer Foss Company, over. And all of a sudden he hears the most beautiful words he ever heard in his life. This is what the words he heard. He said, Commanding Officer Foss Company, this is Commanding Officer 5th Marine Regiment. That means there are a thousand people there. Commanding officer 5th Marine Regiment, this is what he said, request permission to enter friendly lines. You have been relieved. And he says, permission granted. He turns, and all of a sudden, he sees the sight that he says he never forgets, that he dreams of. Column after column after column after column of Marine begins to enter the mountainside. And at the time when they all thought that they were going to die because things had gotten so bad they couldn't even fight anymore, God had sent replacements. And it's like that in our life. Matthew 24, 44 says, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. First Thessalonians 4, 16 says this. First Thessalonians 4, 16. It says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. God has not left His people, and He has promised that He will abide by His people, even until death. And in those times when we feel like we have to pull our hair out and absolutely throw in the towel and quit because we can't go anymore, that is the time, my friend, when God is just beyond the horizon. You say, what do I got to do? Endure it to the end and take a note. You got to endure it to the next step. And then the next step. And then the next step. A marathon, a journey, it started with one step. And it's a finish with one step. God will come in the blink of an eye. And that's all this will take for your situation to change. Don't quit and don't give up. Because God is coming. And He will take His own. 
Don't quit when you have a problem in your life because God will take care of it. He will work His way because we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For Him we did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Don't quit. Just over the horizon is relief. It is going to get dark here in America. It's going to get dark in Chicago. It may get dark in your family. But don't quit. God is your relief. So the Marines were relieved. And they had to make a seven mile mile march back to where they had come from. It's 40 degrees, negative 40 degrees outside. It's completely frozen. And they had to make this march. As a matter of fact, it took them seven hours to walk seven miles because it's so cold. The average human being walks three miles in an hour. It should have been done five and a half hours ago. But they were so tired and weary and worn from this journey that it took them seven hours to walk seven miles. Finally, when they get to the gate, something funny happens. They walk, it's an army base. They walk up to this, this soldier, this dog face, as we call him. And they go to the soldier and they're like, Second Battalion, 7th Marines, Fox Company, request permission to enter friendly lines. And the soldier smirks. He's like, oh, you're a Marine, eh? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, you're Marines, you need to prove it. And he's even season tense. He's like, what? I just, I just fought this battle for seven days and you want me to prove a Marine. He's like, whatever. What do you want me to do? He says, march through the gates. So, he goes back to the unit and he's like, guys, look. The dog faces want to march through the gates. So, so we're going to do Everybody's going like, oh, are you kidding me? we got to march through the gates? He's like, yeah, we've got to march through the gates, man. Just do it, okay? And he's like, all right, all right, all right. All right, let's do it, let's do it. So he goes out in front, he calls him to attention, and he's like, come on! Those Marine Seals came together. They're like they've been trained and taught. Crap! Now all of a sudden he says, boom! They turn to the right. The rifles are ready. The discipline has returned. The morale is high. Now he says, And there he goes, they're hitting the deck. And as they march through those gates, soldiers are astonished. Because they knew where the Marines had been, and they want to see that attitude about it. And all of a sudden, one of the Marines does something that everybody catches on to. He begins to hum the Marine hymn. And then he begins to sing it. We fight our country's battles in the air, on land, and sea. First to fight for right and freedom and to keep our honor clean. We are proud to claim the title of United States Marines. There's my last point. When we are redeemed, we will have a song to sing because we've been redeemed. In heaven, there will be every saints from all ages, in all backgrounds, rich and poor, black and white, Hispanic and Asian. And what will be amazing is they will all have 
come from the time before Christ, from the time during Christ, the time after Christ. They will come from the early church. They will come from the Old Testament. They will come from the New Testament. They will come from Chicago and North Carolina. And they will have a song to sing. They will have a song to sing because they've been redeemed. The question remains now, have you been redeemed? In order to be redeemed, there's one thing you first need to know. Is that if we die without Christ in our hearts, that we will be seen as, as a sinner. Because the Bible says, Now then, are we better than they? No, no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they're all under sin. As it is righteous, there is none and it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understands it. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all out the way. They are together become unprofitable. No, not one. All of us. If we die Christless, we will go to a Satan's hell. So for a way to the sin is death. Let it say to the son of the man once to die, but after this, the judgment that God will see everything we've done in dark and in light by ourselves and with others, in our mind, in our heart, that there's no way we can hide our lives. It says, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And in order to get this gift that God has for us, you need to understand one thing. There's this. That God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then it says, but God commended His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That in order, that after He died for us, and that says, and that He was buried, and then He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that because He lives, those that believe Him shall live also. That in order to receive His death, we must come to the point of repentance. It's that God is not willing that we should perish, but that all should repent. It says, in the times of his ignorance, God winked up and now commanded all men everywhere to repent. People say to me, what is repent? I've never heard that word before. Repent is change. Change can only happen with surrender. When we take our life and we lay it at the foot of the cross. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is how we get saved. That is how we come to Christ. And the most beautiful thing about it all is that we can take the broken pieces of our life, lay it at the Savior's foot, and we'll be amazed at what He would do with them. Has bowed, eyes closed. I wonder if you say to me tonight, Brother Father, no, I actually don't even know if I am really saved. I've heard this stuff before, just like you. I've prayed this thing before. Am I saved? If, you, if you're not sure, if you just raise your hand, I'll pray for you.